This is Kristen. And I'm Keontae. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to the Crafted, Crafted Podcast. Podcast. What it do? What it do? What's up, everybody? Um, it's a new week, a new episode. I want to say thank you guys for tuning in. Yes, thank you. We appreciate all of our listeners for going on. We're almost at episode number 30, almost, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. This is 28. Dang, so hopefully people have been rocking with us since the beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, shout out to the day ones, you know? There's some day ones out there. Matter of fact, there's some people that's listening that I never even would think to be listening. Like, I've like I've had messages or talked to people and they'd be like, oh, yeah, my cousin be listening to y'all podcast. I'm like, huh, okay. Never met your cousin before, but they listen to the podcast. That's what's up. So shout out to y'all. Yeah, that's cool. Shout out to the that's day cool. ones. Well... As we always start our podcast off, how's your week been? This is our weekly check-in. My week How's has, your week been so far? Oh, dang. I was too enthusiastic. Listen, I was ready to rock and roll, ready to say what I had to say. So my week has been good so far. I am busy, as always, at work. I don't know what happened. After November, things just picked up. And so now we are rocking and rolling. I wrote two reports in two days. I have two meetings tomorrow and I have more meetings next week and you know it's just a lot of assessments and things like that and so as always it seems like my week has been pretty busy. How about yours? Mine's been good. How's your fast? How's your fast been going? For those that don't know we're doing a a, a fast with our church. So we're fasting from from um you know, some choice things. I ain't letting my right hand know what my left hand is doing, so I'm getting all my blessings for my fast. Okay. Okay. Well, that's fine. I, well, I mean, you don't have to talk about what you're fasting from or what your specific it's fast is. It's going good. Oh, it's going good? Yeah. Oh, my fast is, my, the fast has been a little challenging for me. Like, and I didn't think that it would be, like, as challenging because I just kind of figured, like, uh, because we're only doing a fast for a week, so I just kind of figured, like, oh, this week could really fly by, but it's interesting, like, when you do fast, when you fast from certain things, especially things that, not necessarily what I'm fasting from that I rely on, but I enjoy it a lot, and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of been an interesting, like, I'm having the, the shakes, like, when you have withdrawals, (laughs) and, and, and so, it's been very interesting, but it's actually been, like, eye-opening, because, fasting from what I'm fasting from I'm able to focus more and like have kind of less distractions and so yeah I've been able to really like focus on things that I kind of normally don't or really like take more time to analyze certain things so yeah it's been challenging because I really just want to dip back into what I'm fasting from but I'm staying strong we we almost there Okay, you're so funny. Like, I just feel like when things are weak, it's like, come on, nothing is that hard to give up for a week. Mm, not necessarily. It, it depends me. on what you're giving up. Like a people, like a, if a person, like a person that smokes a pack of cigarettes a day, like if they had to give up smoking a cigarette for a week, they're gonna go out of control. But cigarettes also have a habit forming uh, drug in it, so uh-huh. you know it's also a little different. But I also feel like you know, like unless you're like not eating food at all you know then it's it's doable if you're not eating food at all then that's like a that's like a woo that's you might could be dead at the mm-hmm. end no you got but see i think no, that's, you could live like three weeks <laughs> but yeah, i think that's more just the food like that's the physical aspect and the physical implications but i think that like 
other things, when you fast from things that are more like psychological or like mental, um, even just like with the cigarettes, like you have like you have a habit of doing certain things or going about certain things a certain way. And then once that's kind of shut off, even for a week, even for like a couple of days, like you get a little bit antsy and you start to just really you realize like how often you rely on that one thing when you can't do it anymore. And you're like, wow. That's interesting. It must be our personality differences strike again because, you know, I don't know. I just kind of don't feel that way. Hmm. <laughs> I feel like the the mental things are the easiest for me. It's the actual physical things that would be the hardest for me, like, hmm. you know. But anyways, that's interesting. So yep, what's yep. our second segment? So I guess that is considered our impromptu first segment it's not really impromptu because yeah, we do it's it just every a, time it's just a check-in you know because the listeners they want to know like i think with our podcast like we try to be like more open and, and as vulnerable as we can so i i kind of start that segment that segue like very impromptu like you said but it's just more so the check-in just for the listeners to really just see like what our day-to-days are like or you know really exactly how we're feeling and what we're doing so anyway yeah okay but let's go ahead and swing into our random fact of the day um and our random fact of the day actually i wouldn't even really say it's kind of a random fact i guess it is a random fact but it's more of a like interesting fact and really you know i've been able to like kind of research and like figure this fact out due to you know me having kind of less distractions and it's kind of tied into my fast okay. or whatnot and trigger warning like one of the things i'm going to talk about is going to be abortion but i'm not i'm not like going to go deep into it but just want to throw that out there just in case and so the <laughs> That's interesting so kind of you and so the interesting fact that i have today is i've been listening to um this is a great book called dangerous jesus by kb who's a christian rapper um but an evangelist as well um, and it's just, it just has a bunch of just great points and he brings in certain things when it comes to the Bible that I just never really paid attention to or I never kind of knew of. And then, um, in one section, he was talking about this, um, this kind of this idea, like, and it spawned from talks of like, um, you know, not to get into politics or anything like that, but it kind of spawned from an idea of like when you have like the Roe versus Wade. Oh man, there goes my there goes my Siri talk, trying to talk to me. But anyway, this idea like it kind of spawned from like um, Roe versus Wade. I mean, not Roe versus Wade. Is it Roe versus Wade? The abortion. Yeah, 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 yes. yeah. Roe versus Wade or whatnot. And it was like a conversation between like you know pro lifer and people that aren't pro life. Oh, what not? And the majority of the time, like that, those debates is more so like people that are like strict Christians and, you know, people that just decide, you know, decide like it's their body, their choice. But the conversation kind of stemmed from like the Christian person saying, like, you know, I've all like, you know, us as Christians, historically, we've always just cared about babies. We've always cared about life, you know, in general, and okay. spe- specifically saving the babies. And so from that segue, KB goes into like the historical facts of like old Rome. And this is something that I didn't know. But back in the day, and I mean, way, way back in the day, Rome actually went through a plague that was called the Galen Plague or the Plague of Galen which was named after the doctor who, like, discovered it or whatnot. But it was essentially how, like, we kind of went through COVID. It was wiping people out. They actually think that it was, like, either smallpox or, or something else that was running through Rome. But at this time, when it was when this was going on, 
there was like um, evangelical Christians in Rome trying to, you know, evangelize the people, convert people and do whatever. But when this plague was going on, they made like a proclamation for people to pretty much evacuate the city or whatnot or in a sense evacuate the city, but leave like their loved ones behind that might have been sick or, you know, just abandon people that were sick. And so you have most of these Romans fleeing Rome, but in historically the Christians that was there they were the ones that actually stayed with the people that were sick and like helped them out. A bunch of them actually died even doing it. That's so nice because that show would have been gone. Yeah. So, and it goes from there to when like everything starts to kind of level out, then you still have the Christians in Rome. And there was one point in time in Rome where when people had children and like, let's say your children had like defects or something like that, or you didn't want your children, and, you know, instead of doing like what we would do would be a modern day abortion, people would give birth to their kids, but then they would leave their kids like in this field or whatnot for them to essentially just die. You know, the the children would either die or animal, wild animals would come in and get the babies and stuff like that. Dang, and, that's messed up. Yeah. And so, but what would ha- what happen when the Christians were in the city when people would leave their babies in the field, the Christians would come and get the babies and pretty much take care of them and raise them and things of that nature. And so when it comes to, you know, the thought of like, you know, we've Christians, we've always been pro-life. We've, all, we've always cared for babies. It kind of stems back from this point um, back in Rome when people actually used to leave their babies in the field. And then the Christians would come and pretty much pick up the babies and raise them. Um, you know, as orphans and things of that nature and saving them from nature and the wild animals and things of that nature. But that's was... deep. But dang, who was the Christians that was killing the Native Americans? I'm just saying. I mean, that's well, you that's that's several Woo. thousand years. That's several thousand years after what I'm talking about. Oh, this okay. is like this is okay, like okay. This was the beginning. Yeah, this beginning. is like like Romulus type of Rome. Yeah, you know I mean Julius Caesar. Like BC. Yeah, you know, oh, Ju- okay. no, no, not BC, but uh, after after that, but you know. Oh. It's a few thousand years ago. I mean, a couple thousand years ago. That's so. A, so year zero? Not a year co- zero. Year 23. <laughs> that's A.D. A.D. Yeah, is after B.C. So it was like A.D. Rome. But this was that, you know, the Roman Empire was still around with like, you know, um, yeah, some of the emperors. But anyway, <laughs> I just thought it was an interesting, you know, fact because I'd never really heard of that. I never even knew that Rome went through a type of plague like that. So... Yeah, very, very interesting stuff. I, I love researching history and, and figuring out stuff like that. So Wow. That's our interesting fact slash random fact of the day. Okay. Yeah. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to our next segment, which is our Let's Get Deep segment. Um, let me go ahead and read the Let's Get Deep question today. And it says, what do you miss most about childhood? What do I miss most about childhood? Not really anything because I couldn't wait to be an adult. But if I had to choose, I'm such a rebel because I'm a, mm. I always go against the grain. But anyways, what do I miss the most is probably being able to like play outside all day and drink the water from the water hose and just run around and and do kid things like that. Mm-hmm. That's what I miss most about childhood. Okay, that's good. What I miss most about childhood is the price of stuff, yo. Like, 
I, I tell you this story all the time. Like me and my little brother Greg, when we lived in Compton, um, there was this liquor store that was down the street on Rosecrans, um, and it was called Vicks. It was like our neighborhood liquor store. Bruh, when I was a kid, me and him used to walk down to Vicks. We could get a scoop of ice cream, which I was getting cookies and cream. I think Greg is getting cookies and cream too, because me and him kind of have similar tastes. Scoop of cookies and cream ice cream, a Shasta lemon lime, and like one of them little Debbie brownies. And guess what all that cost? One dollar. <laughs> the scuba ice cream was 50 cent, the Shasta soda was 25 cent, and the little Debbie's brownie was a quarter. That's so funny. Bruh, you cannot walk into a 7-Eleven today. You could barely get anything for a dollar at a 7-Eleven today. I remember when I was a kid, a dollar would get me the 10-pack of Little Debbie's brownies. Bruh. Or I would get 10 cup of noodles because they were 10 for a dollar. Or I'd get three candy bars. That's three for a dollar. And Or you get two bags of chips because they were like 50 cents each. And what else did I get? I don't know. There was all types of stuff. You're right. A dollar could get you a lot back Man, then. Man, a dollar used to And stretch, now you have to bro. use like $5. And that's not probably even enough. That's not enough. Five, right now, today, a $5 could probably get you a 20-ounce soda and a bag of chips. And, that, and that'd be all. Barely. Barely. Like, even, even it those... It even get you the good soda. Yo, even little Caesar's Pizza ain't even $5 anymore. Like, we do a thing called Fun Friday with our kids where they get to choose, like, if they want to have fast food or whatever they want to eat on Fridays. My kids always choose pizza or whatnot. Now, if I want to have pizza with them, my favorite pizza is Papa John's, so I'll just step it up a notch if it's me and them eating pizza. But most of the time when they eat pizza, they don't really care if they like Little Caesars. And when I be ordering that Little Caesars, five, that what used to be a $5 box, it is now six ninety nine and going up because somebody told me that it was about to go up to seven ninety nine. dollars so, Dang, $7.99? Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's where we are now. literally wild. That's where we are. Literally wild. Joseph R. Biden, I'm gonna need you to do something, baby. Right for I'm they need you to get these price. I'm gonna need you to get these pizza boxes prices back down. For they get that other and man cancel up in the, there. and cancel the student debt. Oh please, <laughs> and give Kristen a million dollars. Bruh. Okay, so let's get into our forever segment, which is our marriage segment. Today, it's funny that our let's get deep question asked about childhood because we're gonna kind of talk about childhood in a way today i want to know what trauma have you had that has most impacted our marriage mm, what trauma that's have deep. i had that has most impacted our marriage yep that should have been the deep question um <laughs> yes yeah, it's pretty deep honestly i would have to say probably my dad not being in, in, in the home okay and you know like for um you know, like the greater part of my life and just like things like teaching, like, you know, how to even like have a relationship with a woman or whatnot. And my parents never got married. So I never got to see like that example of like what a husband is supposed to be like, or what a man is supposed to be like to, you know, for, for a spouse. Um, I never got, I never got that. So us stepping into our marriage at the age of, at the tender age of 19, bruh, I was at a deficit, a total deficit. And the crazy thing is I thought I knew like what I was doing. I had this vision like, oh, it's going to be like this, but it was not. Right. <laughs> especially especially that that first year. It was totally not. We all had that fairy tale complex. That's what I call it. So now what childhood trauma for you that made our marriage hurt? 
Our marriage is difficult. The impact that our marriage. Impact our marriage. So, yeah, <laughs> same words, interchangeable. Yes, kind <laughs> of. Because <laughs> it could be a positive impact. Uh-huh. You never know. Okay. I guess not really, huh? It's yeah, a trauma. <laughs> yeah, you said trauma. I will say, yeah, what's good trauma? Right. <laughs> um. So, the trauma that has impacted our marriage the most for me is just probably having a dominating um father figure or a father figure a dominating dad that (laughs) (laughs) i know i was trying to be too like politically yeah he was a daddy right be for real yeah i had a dominating dad you know he was like a for sure alpha male swat team leader vietnam vet Mm. you know all the whole nine yards and so that just impacted on how i viewed men how i react towards men and just you know how i view my husband and how i react towards my husband and so before we get into some more how have you what has helped you heal from your traumas i know you're not all the way healed because nobody ever well you can oh, yeah. be it's, it's but what has helped education. you heal also the most the major thing that helped me here uh, is two things. And number one is definitely experience. Um, but with experience you need you need, you know, guidance with that experience because I could be a quarterback in the NFL for ten years, but if I don't have the right coach to help me along in my experience, and I'm just going to be a quarterback, you know, but I want, I'm trying to be the greatest. So that experience coupled with uh, mentorship from, you know, men that I trust, you know, men like Ahmad, you know, well, started off as our young adult pastor, but now is our, our lead pastor, um, which is also, you know, like one of my best friends. Um, just mentorship, like with people with him, uh, under him, um, you know, other older guys um, from our church. And so just experience coupled with guys who have actually done it or are doing it um, and that are, you know, coaching from the same playbook, which is the Bible um, that I'm, you know, that I'm trying to get these plays from. So that has really helped me along the way a lot and um, has kind of healed those like because to me, it was really like voids, the trauma. It was more so voids of just like the unknown or not knowing um, so, you know, I've had a lot of good men come into my life, your dad, um, like I said, other men that have just shown me the game, given me the holes to fill within my experience to help me to continue to be better. Okay. So what has helped me to start healing and, you know, all of those good things is number one, age and wisdom mm-hmm. and Jesus really Like, I just feel like as you get older, you get more wise, hopefully. (laughs) And, you know, the closer I get to Jesus and the closer my relationship is with him, the more I heal. Also, I am a staunch supporter of therapy, medication, all the good things. Listen, people be walking around trying so hard and you don't get any rewards for trying hard. You don't, you know, for struggling, for for struggling mentally and so I go to therapy um what once every two weeks and you know at time and I've been going to therapy since I was I don't know since about since August was born maybe a little bit after he was born like Mm -hmm. six or so months 
But I, yeah, I just believe that you should talk through your issues. You should have somebody to help you through life. It's kind of like mentors, but I feel like a therapist is trained to go through those things with you. And so that's why I'm really like a staunch supporter of therapy. But yeah, so that's what kind of has helped me. But also I want to talk about um, ACEs. Do you know what an ACE is? No. So an ACE is an adverse childhood experience. And so that's essentially a trauma. Anything that can impact you in your childhood um, negatively and how and basically how it impacts you as a person. And so the things that impact a marriage or the ways that it impacts a marriage. Can you guess any before I tell you? Mm, Like, I don't know. I would say like dealing with finances in marriage. (laughs) I don't know. That, you, I, th- I love doing that to you because you're like, what? <laughs> right. Like, can you guess? Yeah. That's what I would guess. Like, something adverse. Adverse. What is that? Adverse child experience? Yeah. Yeah. And so... I was adversely broke. I'm so. ruined. So, ad- <laughs> adverse childhood experiences, basically, it could uh, affect your communication. Uh-huh. You know, you never learned how to communicate properly. Or you might have had parents that were yelling or screaming or whatever. And so it leads to misunderstandings and extra conflicts. Also, adverse childhood experiences can affect your trust with your partner. And it affects your trust in marriage. It affects, like, just how you trust them to manage the money. How you trust them to go to work. How you trust them to raise your children. All that kind of stuff. Um, a big one is your attachment style. I'm going to go a little bit more into attachment styles a little bit later in this segment. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it could affect how you attach to your spouse and how you navigate emotional intimacy. It has mental health implications. It could cause anxiety, depression, and affect really your overall dynamics in your marriage. It impacts your parenting. And it really impacts how you parent your children, how you react to them and all those things. It can cause uh, interpersonal conflict in your marriage. So it, it really stems from those unresolved issues, how you cope in marriage and how you cope with with arguments and and uh, disagreements and and just, you know, even little minor disagreements and big disagreements and financial issues it's just how you cope in general yeah also research suggests that people with a lot of aces or with a history of aces have lower relationship satisfaction and so it really highlights all those things kind of highlight the need for people to take it seriously and to take their trauma seriously and to get the help they need especially if you want a successful marriage at the end of the day Mm -hmm. and so which of those ways, like if you were to name one, which of those ways do you think your trauma and my trauma together have impacted our marriage? Oh, through communication, of course. You think so? Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was about to say, like, especially for me, like, it's not that, like, well, my mama was a my mom was a single black mom raising six kids in Compton, so it was a lot of yelling. <laughs> but it was yelling for you, you know, she was trying to keep us alive but not but honestly like even in my family dynamic like we never really had like deep deep talks you know what i mean like you know with my mom like my mom my mom would give like instruction and kind of like what, what was kind of expected from us but like growing up i never had like those deep deep like affectionate like seventh heaven 
type of Seven TV, heaven. you know, conversations <laughs> with, you know, with my parents. And so, and I think in that, you know, I have like a, I've had a lapse of like just proper communication and, you know, how to dialogue between us um, and really, you know, understand and convey certain things in a certain way. So I think I missed out, missed out on that a lot. And that really showed in our first year of marriage, especially on my part, um, just not knowing how to fully understand you and then not knowing how to express my feelings and then stonewalling all the time. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's why I was, I would say communication for, for me. Yeah. I, I'm in agreement with you. I feel like a lot of the traumas have affected our communication. It's affected, it's affected multiple ways though, but I feel like as we have gotten older, we've learned how to manage and get through a lot of the things. And like I said, with some therapy, with some medication and all those good things, I feel like it has helped uh, significantly. But the one that I feel like it has impacted the most is our attachment style. Do you know what an attachment style is? Like, I don't know, somebody being like needy or clingy or... Yeah, it's just basically how you attach to your partner. So I'm going to go over. There's four attachment styles. Mm -hmm. I feel like I could have made an episode on each of those uh, points, like the trust issues, the interpersonal conflict, the impact on parenting, all of those things. But for this one, we're just going to focus on the attachment styles for the rest of uh, this uh, segment. And so, do you know any of them? I don't. Okay, so the first one is obviously going to be the healthy one. It's called secure attachment. And people with secure attachment, they basically feel comfortable with emotional intimacy. And they're able to trust their partner. They have a positive view of themselves and their relationship. And securely attached people basically contribute to healthier and more satisfying marriages, and they have effective communication, and they have an overall sense of emotional safety. So there's another one called anxious preoccupied attachment. And so those with anxious attachment seek high levels of closeness, and they seek that approval from their partners. So they worry about being abandoned and are sensitive to the changes in their partner's behavior. And... Mm -hmm. The impact on marriage is the anxiously attached people, they experience like heightened emotional responses in marriage. And so it leads to like feeling rejected or the need for constant reassurance. And so the next one is called avoidant attachment. And so people with avoidant attachment are uncomfortable with emotional closeness and they prioritize their independence and they really downplay the importance of relationships. And so people who are avoidantly attached struggle with emotional intimacy and it kind of creates challenges in expressing and receiving love within the marriage. And then the last one is fearful avoidant, or it could also be called disorganized attachment. So this is characterized by anxious and avoidant tendencies and individuals may desire closeness, but they fear it at the same time. And it leads to like an internal battle within themselves. And so fearful avoidant people, they experience difficulties like navigating relationships and they have those conflicting desires for, um, for intimacy and independence at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so hearing all of that, which attachment style do you think you are and which attachment style do you think I am? And then I'll tell you what I think. 
Uh, for me, I'm definitely the second one. I don't remember the 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 title. You're but the it, anxious attachment style. Yeah, it's the one like the reassurance and yeah, like the anxious, abandonment. That's anxious yeah, attachment. Yeah, because I net like anytime me and you like get into it, like I need you, like you know me. If we get into an argument, <laughs> I need us to resolve the argument then and there. Like you absolutely do. Yeah, so I don't want you. I don't need you walking around like being mad at me. Like let's figure this out. So that's for me for sure. And then for you, it'd probably be that last one. Yeah, the fearful avoidant. Yeah. So I go back and forth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually in agreement with you. Look at us. We agree on something. We never agree on nothing because we have such differing opinions and differing personalities. But I feel like that's just straightforward. Like, that's just fact. It ain't no, <laughs> it ain't no debating that. It is what it is. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I totally am in agreement with you. And I think that my fearful avoidant attachment style comes from seeing men basically dog out women and you know multiple men a lot of the men in my lives you know they weren't the nicest they were they didn't treat women the best and I remember as a kid vowing I'll never marry a man like that I'll always be strong and independent and so you know I do desire emotional closeness and I do like emotional closeness but I do I think deep down I do have like a slight fear of of not being rejected but of like being hurt essentially you know Mm -hmm. and it's really associated with the past trauma you know and the the uncertainty about relationships because I've seen relationships go haywire and go south like that. And so, you know, I think that is where it comes from. I used to, I think that in marriage, I have switched from one to the other because I think in the beginning of our marriage, I was anxious attached because I just required your attention all the time. I And one time this man caught me clingy and I, I've been a uh, fearful avoidant ever since. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's not because of that though. I think it was more issues to it and more things to it. But you know, <laughs> but I did used to be anxious attachment, don't you think? Uh yeah. At to, the beginning. To agree. At the beginning. But, yeah. And yeah. I used to be like, you know, I used to just think that arguments were the end of the world and all that stuff. Now I'd be like, oh, okay. But you know, sometimes I think I could switch from fearful avoidant just to straight out avoidant, you know? Yeah. And so a lot of the um a lot of the things that I, I faced growing up and a lot of the domineering parenting has has basically transitioned me to that. And so like I said, how I combat that is through therapy. I do intentional things to try and get closer. It is hard for me though. It's like against my nature a little bit at times. And so I really have to, you know, work hard on, on being as vulnerable as I can. And it's pretty hard for me because I'm, I'm pretty rock solid. Okay. Yeah. But but I'm really, I'm I'm not in a sense, but I am in a sense, you know what I mean? Like that's why I guess it is fearful avoidant because I can go back and forth. Yeah, like I said, I'll be trying to tell this girl, man, I'm going to be here, dude. Like, calm down. Get soft for me. You're like, so I funny. need you. To, like, you be like, just like you said, like, oh, I'm, I need to be this strong person. This girl be trying to oh, be. Oh, no, bo- I don't have to be no strong person. I don't know. I don't know about that. You know, I like, to be, what you said. I like you said. to be independent. 
No, you said I, earlier you was talking about the men dogging out women. You said I'll never marry somebody like that. I gotta. I'm gonna be this strong person. That's what you, that's what you said. Oh well, I meant independent. <laughs> well, independent, strong, same difference. But anyway, uh-uh, I need you same. to. Uh, that's not the same. This girl be trying to be Booker T, and I need you to be Queen Charmel for my wrestling fans out there. Just I'm rolling. Let me be Booker T. But yeah, right? so I think. But no, I just I think also I have like a. I don't know that I almost have a fear too that like, like my expectations that I have aren't going to be lived up to essentially too. And so it is a lot of deepness, a lot of things to unpack there and to uncover. But I think as for now, I'm doing pretty okay. Like, you know, it's not to the point where I, I think I'm able to communicate better. I'm able to, to discuss my feelings and all those kind of things more so than I was before. Now let's get into your anxious attachment. Now that Mm -hmm. we've covered me, let's jump to you, baby boy. Mm -hmm. So anxious attachment, it, um, basically it comes from a childhood that created insecurity and uncertainty in relationships. And so you might've had inconsistent caregiving And so what that means is that somebody might have been really supportive and reliable at times, but then they're unreliable and unsupportive at other times. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, neglect or abandonment. So you have the abandonment issues from your father. And so that also makes people, it makes you want to be reassured that you're not going to be left alone. And so um, another one is overly controlling caregivers. And so overly controlling or overprotective. And so if your autonomy is like consistently restricted, then you could develop an anxiety about um, exploring the world and being able to like be on your own and explore the world and your relationships independently without, you know, without always having somebody there. And then um, parental inconsistency. So, like I said, you might have got the supportive and then you got the withdrawing. And we know there's like a little bit more into that. So in your childhood, but we ain't got to spill it all on this episode. And so any all those traumatic life events can lead to anxious attachment. And so let's talk about you. You (laughs) we just went over me. So Mm -hmm. how how I mean, I've never told you like, oh, you're smothering me or. You're trying to, you need to get over it or anything like that. But how can you help yourself to unanxiously attach and get and start going more into the secure attachment? Um, I mean, I think like what more can you do other than what you've already mentioned? Um, I mean, and it's okay not to know, listen, because you know, yeah, I kind of don't know. I was about to say, really, like. It's just continued experience. I think the thing about it is like we've been together for so long now, coming up on fifteen years. I mean, coming up on fourteen years, sixteen years together though. Um, we've just been so long together now. This is like I think with every year that passes, like I'm like, okay, she's not going nowhere. Okay, she's still here. You know, okay, <laughs> you know, even through the first, even through our first year of marriage, where you should have been gone, you still here. Um, so I think all I can do is just continue to live life through experience and just know that, you know, we're staying put and where we're grounded at, we're grounded in our beliefs, we're grounded in our foundation in Christ, we're grounded in now like our roots and bloom, which is our kids, you know, we're grounded in them and you know how I feel about parenthood and just wanting to be in my kids' lives and, 
and just continue to be around. You know what I mean? Because I think it also for me too, like where a lot of insecurity like came from me as a kid was just like our constant moving around. Like I moved around so much as a kid as well too. Oh yeah. So I never really felt any home base or any home like attachment or or strong foundation. Um, you know, growing up in Compton, living in my my great great grandma's house. Um, off of Rosecrans, that was the place that we that when I think of home, that's that was home for me because that's where we lived the longest, you know. And then ever since moving on from there, we've just constantly moved and moved and moved until man, you got married, bought this house, and now this house that I'm in, that that this house that we're sharing together, this is the longest that I've lived somewhere and been somewhere, staying put. So. Yeah. That's what I mean, like, through experiences and through continued, you know, just living life, um, it'll help me to just kind of be more secure, more, I guess, de- detached? I don't, know, I don't know the opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, just that you feel secure in our relationship, you know? Like, you don't have to uh, hold on so tight, you know, in a sense. Yeah. And then something that I think I can implement is that... I could just tell myself, you know, you're not those men. And honestly, some part of me feels like a part of it is ingrained in me. And it's like, I mean, I can change, but do I really want to? So it's just a lot. So I have a lot of unpacking to do and a lot of thinking and stuff. And I feel like I've changed enough. I'm like I think I'm I'm pretty good over here. Listen, but yeah, but no. In real, in re- all reality, we could all grow, and so that's just something that you know I need to work on and need to think more on and and unpack and meditate on and all those things. And so our last question for this segment is: Have you considered how trauma affects me and how you interact with me, and vice versa when I answer for you? Um, yeah, I think about that often. Like I think about when we do talk about our, about our childhoods together and like the things that you've been through, um, like whenever me and you get into like a little tisk, um, I think about that. I think about your response. I think about even like when you do something, like if you do something, are you at, like you act a certain way during, I don't know, certain moods of the day or something like that. <laughs> I stop and I stop and kind of analyze that. And I do I often think about like the way you were raised. And I think about your childhood and I think about you expressing to me like, Oh, you know, just like the whole thing where you talking about men and like, you know, you kind of got to have this like wall up in a sense or whatnot. I think about all that stuff. Oh, so. Okay. And how does it change how you interact with me? Um, it's, 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 it's a little tough because honestly, I just want you to be the opposite of that. Like, I want you to just be like more open where it could be just, it's just easier. Like, it's just like, it's just a switch to turn on and off or whatnot, but it's not. And so I tried to be delicate with the way that I approach you or once I realize that how I go about things. But the funny thing is like, depending on your mood, like, I don't know, either way, it could go either or. And so I try to just be as cautious as possible and how to maneuver like through certain, you know, um, experiences or through certain things that we're going through. Um, but yeah, definitely thinking back on to just what your trauma was growing up or just how you were raised. Like, 
it does hold a big effect on how I deal with you and how I approach you in certain manners. That makes sense. And so for me, I do consider how your trauma impacts you, especially not having a dad and, you know, living, um, you know, having a mother that was 16 when she had you or 17. And so I just think of how that relates to you as a person right now, how that impacts how you are a husband and, and a father and all of those things combined. And so what I try to do is just show more grace. And I tend to be a person with high expectations of myself and high expectations of others. And so I have to like essentially take my expectations down a little bit because, you know, not everybody can be me and you didn't have the same exact, um, you know, childhood as I did. And we're two different people. So, you know, and I can't expect you to be what I grew up with necessarily. And essentially, you know, so I, I just show more grace is what I can do and what I do do. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So anything else you want to say before we segue? I know that's it. All right. So our next segment, that was a really, that was a, that was a, a good segment. It was kind of deep, you know, might make you feel tired afterwards. Make sure you do your self care. <laughs> After talking about traumas, that's something that you really want to do is, um, is do self care. So if anybody was a little triggered, Take some time for yourself, get in your word, pray, all the good things, exercise, because it could be deep talking about the things of your childhood and it could uh, maybe even take you back to that place. Mm. And so, yeah. So now let's get into our roots and bloom. And today we're going to be talking about strength based parenting. And so you husband took the Clifton strengths assessment. Mm hmm. And what did you get, husband? Oh, man. Now you put me on the spot. Hold on. What do you mean I put you on the spot? You knew we were coming to talk about it. Huh? I'm so confused. Huh? I just don't. You know me. Like, I don't know. Like, I remember a lot of stuff. But hold on. But I got it up right here. What in the world? I got it pulled up right here. All this right. guy is cray cray. So, so you talking about like my, what is the, uh, oh man. What are your five? I'll go over my five first. Okay. So my five was achiever. Let's see if I can remember, if I memorize them. Achiever, focus, harmony, uh, com- competition, and relator. So those were my five. And my number one was achiever, which means I like to achieve on things, focus. Obviously, I hyper-focus on things, and it gives me what I need to focus. Harmony was I like to keep the peace. Uh, Relator was I relate well to people. And competition is I like to be number one. It's so funny that achiever, focus, and competition kind of all have to do with the same thing. But that also makes sense on why I am the way that I am. So, anyways, what are your five husband? And so, give a little one liner like I did, or a little two word on what what each one is. Okay, so my first one is ideation. Um, basically means that I'm fascinated by ideas. Like I'm able to find connections between you know seemingly desperate phenomena. 
That's what it says right here. That is so funny. I said a, I said two words. <laughs> Wait, two words? I can't. I can't. You can. You are fascinated you said, with ideas, bro. That's perfect. Oh no! Nah, this, this man literally sat here and read the thing. I, and he, well, you said you said give me a one liner. So I said, oh, this is a one. This is a one line. Fascinated right with here. ideas is a is a good one liner. You ain't got. Oh, okay. This. He was like, "What does that even mean?" <laughs> that was crazy. Okay. All right. Uh, my number two is adaptability, and it says I prefer to go with the flow, which okay. I'm very spontaneous. You know, my third one is futuristic. I'm inspired by the future and what could be. I'm always thinking and having a vision. Um, developer is number four, and it says that I recognize and cultivate potential in others. That's cool. And then my number five is empathy. I can sense other people's feelings by imagining myself in their situations. Okay, I like that. I like that. So these strengths that we're talking about are from Don Clifton. Uh, he's like the father of strengths-based psychology. And he, you know, he developed this test and he believes that we should pour into our strengths, essentially. And we should know what, what we're good at and what we're talented at. Mm-hmm. And so did you know... Well, what do you think? Do you think knowing your weakness and improving them will help you be more successful or knowing your strengths and building them will help you be more successful? Mm, uh, I don't know. I think that the weaknesses. Yeah. So the weaknesses will help you be more successful. You're with 77% of people. Uh So they 77% or yeah, they think that people should know their weaknesses and prove upon them. But that's called deficit-based development. So that means that you believe that you should work on your deficits and that'll make you more successful. And so the same people that say that are like the people who say your worst grades are what deserves most time and attention. And so it kind of uh, is interesting that that is said because that's basically how most people think i think like that i used to think like that too Mm -hmm. i'm starting to change based on these books and things like that and so what it got me thinking and how it relates to parenting is it got me thinking about how we parent and so most of us we're going to hyper focus on weaknesses and try to make them better and so it's kind of interesting because like you think of a chicken right and a chicken has wings but a chicken can't really fly that well right Mm mm-hmm and so it's kind of like telling a chicken, you need to practice flying more because you can't fly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is a chicken really ever going to be able to fly? Mm. You know, like realistically. Chicken it, run. Right. Or it's like asking a rabbit, okay, we got a rabbit in the class and we got a fish in the class. And we say, fish, you're so excellent at swimming. Now, rabbit, you need to get better like the fish at swimming. So get up in there. Now, a rabbit can swim, but can a rabbit ever swim like a fish? Can a rabbit swim? I'm pretty sure a rabbit can swim. Mm, I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. Well, anyways, that's that's more of the point, though. <laughs> Seriously. So you got him jumping in the water. He might drown. So it's kind like of like, cat. it's kind of like, okay, you have a, or you have a construction worker, another analogy. You have a construction worker and you have a manager. And so you tell the manager, listen, you need to get out there. You need to build the houses as good as this construction worker. Now he's good at managing things. And not necessarily good at constructing things. Or a construction worker, you tell him, you need to learn how to manage. Now, he's good at building things, but he's not good at managing things. You understand the uh, 
you know, all the different analogies, you know? Yeah. And so it leads to this question, like, how do we parent? How do you think we parent? Um, like, do we, are we deficit based mostly or strengths based? Are we a good mixture? Like, I think we're a balance. Okay. But I think that just comes with experience. I mean, because now that we're reading, you know, doing tests like this and we got you as a resident psychologist and reading more books, I think it'll start to go more, more towards the building on the strengths. But for example, with our son, there's, there's some deficits he got going on and we try to work with him in those deficits, you know, to focus on those things or whatnot. But we're also, you know, trying to open his horizons to what he likes. Like he's very into engineering and like building stuff and things of that nature. So we're trying to build on his strengths. Yeah. I mean, instead of saying, no, you're going to play basketball. You know what I mean? Like, we're trying to get them in the STEM programs and stuff like that. So that's what I'm saying. I think it's a good balance. Good balance, balance. yes. So a question is, can you fix your weaknesses? What do you think? Can you fix your weaknesses? Yes. Uh, Fix is, like, such a definite word. I, I feel like you can just, all you can do is work on your weaknesses. Yes, you're right. So you could spend a lot of time for a, a weakness for you to only be average, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, if some people just can't spell, some people just can't, um, you know, whatever, whatever your weakness may be. Some people just can't um, read or some, it might not even be academic. Some people are very straightforward or things like that. And so a lot of the times you can spend all this time on a weakness only for you to be mediocre at the end of the day. Not saying that you shouldn't spend all the time, spend time on weaknesses, but what if you applied that energy to your strengths? Mm. Like seriously. So at your strengths, can you grow your strengths? Uh, yeah, you can can definitely grow your strength, right? So like, let's say you have an affinity for learning music and you were very good at that and you're very creative do you think you could learn more and be like, you know, more about music and more about being creative and all those things and expand your knowledge, right? Oh, definitely. Because I think also what your strength is, is what your, oftentimes whatever your strength is something that you're interested in. Yeah. And so, of course, you want to be more interested in whatever you're interested in. Yeah, exactly. Now, could you learn about the science of reading and and the science of how it affects your brain and all that kind of stuff. You could learn about that, right? Mm-hmm. But do you think you could ever learn about it so much to where you're just an expert on reading, you know, and you're just a reading specialist and yeah. enjoy it? Not if you not if you and don't, feel good about it. <laughs> not if you don't have an interest in it to begin with. Right. Which I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So the thing is, if you don't like it and you're not good at it, it really means you're going to waste your time and energy trying to be mediocre. Mm. It truly does. And so I have a little story. It's about um, Steve Spil- Steven Spielberg. Dang, I butchered that name. Uh, How to say his name? Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg. It's because in the book they kept calling him Steve. <laughs> like, bro, do you know him? No, his name like, is I don't Steven think that Spielberg. man. I don't think Ain't that nobody, man goes by Steve. Cinephiles don't even call him Steve Spielberg. We call I him think, Steven Spielberg. We just call him Spielberg. Really? I'm really. So when I'm he offended. was a kid, he had um, 
basically he had reading difficulty. He had academic difficulty. He wasn't like the smartest kid in the world academically. Mm-hmm. He also had social awkwardness and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, whereas most parents are going to be like, you need to read 100 hours a day. You need to go to tutoring. You need to do all this stuff and all that you know his mom did not do that his mom was like now i'm gonna support his talents and his interests and so he all of a sudden developed an interest in movies and so she would drive him to the desert to make movies he'd be like mom i want to drive here so you could take me to do this and so his mom was like his wingman okay Mm -hmm. she let him explode cherries in a pressure cooker for one of his movies and she didn't really make him um focus on school to the point where you know like he was burnt out she was just basically like just get by and just focus on what you like to do and so you know we have a success story in that and he just says that he didn't have a low self-esteem he didn't struggle with anything because he was also he was always so self-confident because he was allowed to build upon his strengths essentially so what the whole moral of this is, is not to just, oh, just ignore your weaknesses and just do your strengths and only focus on your strengths. The moral is, is that yes, you need to manage your weaknesses. You need to do what you need to do to, so it doesn't get in the way of your goals. You need, if your writing is horrible, you should work to make it at least legible. That don't mean you have to be the number one cursive writer in the world and have the most excellent penmanship, but people need to be able to read it. If your kid is disorganized, you should give them a binder to keep their papers in so they could organize a little bit better, but you don't have to give them an elaborate organization system with a post-it notes with different colors and all that kind of stuff because honestly as soon as they turn and become an adult they're probably gonna ditch it anyways and so mm-hmm. what you really need to do is just manage the weaknesses and pour into those strengths so what do you think our kids strengths are definitely our son um his strength is you know dealing with like i said like engineering you know, kind of building things, and I don't, I don't I'm, I'm trying to figure out like what the actual word for that is. Like, he has more of a help me out here. Like, he has more of a what's that like a spatial brain? Yeah, visual spatial. Yeah, visual spatial. Um, like even with numbers, like yeah. he randomly just act. We'll be driving, and he'll just actually what's eight times nine. But you ain't even close to learning multiplication. Why are you trying to figure that out? But he's trying to figure <laughs> it out. Yeah, I mean, so he has that strength. Um, Autumn, I think Autumn, one of her strengths is that um, she's great. She's good academically. Like she's she's intelligent as well. But I think her strength all really rely on like more of the social aspect. Like she's more of our kind of social butterfly kid. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Josie just crazy. <laughs> Yeah. So I think August is a natural born leader. I think he's very assertive. I think he commands a room. I think he commands attention. I think Autumn is very, she's a very good communicator. She will communicate her needs. She's, she's also assertive, but she's more of a calm assertive. I think that she is very adaptable and she could um, be a chameleon in any situation And, you know, I think they're very different and they have very different strengths. And so knowing our kids' strengths and and really honing in on them, 
what we can do now is really foster self-awareness. We could help our children recognize their own strengths and understand their strengths. We could also develop natural talents and encourage them to explore. In order for you to find your kids' strengths, you have to put them in things. You know, you don't know that they're, you know, it's like if Michael Phelps never would have been put in swimming or, mm. or you know, things like that. So you have to have your kids try a myriad of different things and the things that they're good at, you know, you start to refine those and you start refining those inherent abilities and all those things. We have to reinforce positive behaviors and accomplishments and provide that positive feedback. So they feel good about themselves. We also need to set achievable goals. And so that as they mark off those goals, they get the momentum and the, and the happiness and the pleasure of, of achieving those goals. And then most importantly, we really need to cultivate a supportive environment and we need to create a space that values and nurtures their individual strengths and really fosters that sense of belonging and confidence and self-confidence. And so, you know, those are some things and some present things that we could do. And so it gives people a little bit to think about. And it also gives us to, it also ties into really marriage in a sense, because like I have certain strengths and I have certain things that I said, I told you achiever focus and competition. And so it's kind of unfair for me to place those kind of demands on you when obviously those aren't your strengths. Now you have your very own strengths. So my strengths aren't the end all be all, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't have to, Oh, everybody needs to be an achiever. And I, tend to think that way and so it was really eye-opening for me to be like you know what everybody is not an achiever everybody is not going to have that focus and discipline everybody's not going to be want to be number one everybody's not going to be uh like me I'm always trying to agree to disagree which is harmony and you're not which is not harmony and so like you know we have to figure out how to meet and I guess, look, that's harmony again, how to meet in the middle, essentially. Mm -hmm. But we have to figure out basically how we could work together with our different strengths. And the same thing in parenting. Your kids are not necessarily going to be you. They might have a few of the strengths that you have, but they're not necessarily going to be exactly what you are. And so it's kind of unfair to hold them to that expectation. And like you said, with August, he has a few deficits and most of them are, you know, some behavioral or social deficits. But what we do need to do, we can't just have him doing what he wants to do all the time, but we need to get him to a functional level to where, you know, he does not make in the whole entire world mad, but to where he's able to survive be obedient and achieve his goals essentially so we don't have to go for you need to be the number one super duper star student like autumn and be so agreeable all the time but you know we have to get him to a functional level and you know with autumn and her deficits and sometimes her uh ability to follow the crowd and things like that so we need to get her to think for herself for the most part but also, she doesn't have to be like, I'm going to be the president of the United States. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm going to have everybody following me and doing what I do. But, you know, just to the point where she's not getting herself into trouble and she knows right from wrong, essentially. And so, you know, it just gives you some food for thought. So how do you think we could apply this to, number one, our marriage and number two, our children? Well, I think one of the good things that you said and it's kind of what 
it's kind of what we're already kind of doing. It's just necessarily like we can we can see like our kids' strengths, and we do kind of put them, we do kind of put them in things that like match up with their strength. But I think it's good to keep them well rounded and put them kind of put them into a bunch of stuff just to see what they like because you just kind of never know. Especially when you brought like the Michael Phelps thing, like we would never know he'd be Michael Phelps if he never got brought down to some water. You know what I mean? Yeah. But in vice versa, like you had a guy, and I'd love to tell this story about like Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan wanted to be an, a swimmer. He was actually trying to train to be like an Olympic swimmer or whatnot. And he's from the Virgin Islands, which a lot of people don't know. And one year they had a ho- they had a her- horrible hurricane or whatnot. And it destroyed his pool that he used to practice in. And so since he couldn't swim anymore, he ended up picking up a basketball and just seeing, you know, just doing something for fun, playing basketball. This man ended up winning five championships and becoming pretty much the greatest power forward we've ever seen in basketball. Wow. And so, you know, and I think that it's good to, you know, just like you said, like, get your put your kids in places that they don't really have to follow you. Another example would be like Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders is the greatest cornerback we've ever seen in football. And so you would think that his kids would probably, I'm going like, to be a cornerback too. His son, Shiloh, is a quarterback. Oh, what not? He's not in the NFL. Yeah, he's still in college. But, you know, instead of going the cornerback route, he hasn't playing quarterback. And he's he's doing pretty good at that. So, you know, you want to just we want to just continue to put our kids in as many things as possible and kind of see what sticks. But also continue to hone in on their strengths. Like, you know, we're going to keep August and like building and like coding classes and things of that nature. But you're also going to play soccer or you're also going to try out basketball. You don't necessarily have to stay there, but, you know, you just want to broaden your horizons and try. See what see what you might like. Um, and I think the same kind of just goes for our marriage. Just like you said, like you got to really understand a person's strength to not hold things like against them. Yeah. You know, to really, absolutely. Yeah. To really have that grace, you know, that you said, cause oftentimes we get into like a lot of conversations or a lot of like, you know, talks or whatnot where you'll have one way and thinking about some way. And I'll always tell you, I'll be like, well, babe. Not everybody is you because you have a certain type of like type A personality Absolutely. where you just like, I got to do this. I got to do that. And I'm following this plan and following this order. And I'll be trying to tell you not to not to say that you're a strange or weird, but I always tell you, girl, I am very strange and I am very weird. Yeah, I always tell you like, girl, you got to think about this from a normal person's point of view. <laughs> you're not normal. Like <laughs> people aren't getting up and doing things in a strategic plan and way that you that you do things and i was like that's why you you know you gotta look at other people and i think that's the you know for my strength that's the empathy part for me is that i'm able to kind of step in other people's shoes and know like you know people is just kind of living life or people just you know not everybody not everybody's gonna be a boss you know you have like i remember the the this interview with dame dash where he was talking about like pretty much downplaying people like of working regular jobs and he was like you know you gotta everybody should be a you should be a boss and my kids will never you know my kids will never call another man boss and blah 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 or whatnot and then one of the interviewers said but what you know not everybody can be a boss some people just actually like the organization of going to a job where they're not the head person and you know just like you said everybody is different we all have different traits we all have dis- different characteristics and we kind of fit into what is good for our strengths and what is good for us yeah so yeah, yeah. i'm i'm totally in agreement and it really just opened my eyes because i just never realized that i am putting my values on other people 
and expecting them to live up to the same things that I live up to. Because even some of our podcast episodes, I'm like, why are why are men not uh, not uh, as ambitious as women? And I'm and I say things like that, but it's not even men. It's just people. Yeah, certain people, you know. And um, there's so many different personality tests and things. I know the Don Clifton one, it costs, but there if you buy his book, then you could uh, do it for free. And it's like 20 minutes. It takes forever. But there's another one called the Myers-Briggs Preferences. And I think I kind of talked about it before I said I was, I think I said I was INSJ, but I'm really INFJ, which is basically advocate, counselor, and um, that's one of the most rare. And so, like you said, I am unique. I am different, you know, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so I just think that people should take the personality tests and see what they or the different personality tests and see uh, what they are and learn more about themselves and just realize that everyone is different. I've kind of had a, you know, a light bulb moment that An everyone epiphany. is different. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah. That is our Roots in Bloom, and I was talking and talking and talking. It's all good. I, I mean, need some water. <laughs> that was a good That was a good talk. All right, now, what I want to talk about today and in our, and in our podcast is something near and dear to my heart, um, which is music. Oh now, gosh. on social media, there has been a, a, a conversation brewing. It really got my mind running because I've been looking at everybody giving their answers. And I'm just like, y'all, y'all obviously just don't know. So I'm going to ask you first. Okay. I would not. When it comes to the GOAT, this is the greatest of all time. Who would be, the GOAT female rappers, who would be in your top three? Missy Elliott. Okay, that's a good one. That's a good choice. Um, let's see, top three. I don't know why you ask me questions oh like this. Gosh. Hell, I don't even know three female Girl, rappers. Okay, you said you got, female rappers, yeah, right? Female rappers. Cardi B is a female rapper. I Lil Kim is a female rapper. Nicki I, Minaj. I didn't ask you. No, I'm giving that. you names. Did you no, say you don't know? No, no, thank you. Um, my name. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My, I just think Missy Elliott is number one, number two, and number three. Oh my gosh, okay. Anyway, so a lot of people, like, when they are making these lists um, and answering the questions, of course we're getting, like, a lot of, like, Nicki Minaj at the number one spot. Um, You know, rightfully so. Like, she's had a, she's had an amazing run for, like, the, you know, for, like, a good 10-year black, almost, like, in the same, you know, adverse time as, like, Drake um, having this run on hip-hop. So you got like a bunch of Nicki Minaj. You got some Missy Elliott's in there, which on my personal list, Missy Elliott's number two. Um, Missy, Missy. You know, she's done a lot, you know. Then you've gotten like some, then you get like some wild cards toward the end there. You get the little Kims, you get the Cardi B's um, from what she's been able to do. You know what I mean? But there's just one person who a lot of people have just been kind of missing the mark or just counting out. And I just want to give you just like, I just want to give you a couple of gems about this person. This is the person that's in my number one spot for the GOAT female rapper of all time. And that's Lauren Hill, right? 
Now, a lot of people, and I want you guys to take out take out the personal stuff when you're thinking about Lauren Hill. And when I say the personal stuff, I mean the fact that, you know, she'll do these concerts and she show up late. Or sometimes she cancels her concerts, you know what I mean, without just, you know, further, you know, advance notice, you know, or whatever she might have said, like in the political realm or whatever. I want you to just get that all out of your mind. Just think about the music. Let's think about the music and what this lady has been able to do. With just one solo album, Lauryn Hill has only put out one solo album, you would be hard-pressed, and I mean hard-pressed, to find another artist who has made a mark on the culture of music in general as profoundly as Lauryn Hill did with just one solo album. You know, so when I talk about Lauren Hill and I had this back and forth with somebody and they were just pretty much really trying to pin her up against Nicki Minaj, you know, and like, oh, Nicki Minaj, you know, she sold this and sold that. You know what I mean? And, you know, I mean, she's just been dominant. She's had all these number one, blah, blah, blah. That sounds good. Let me tell you. Let me tell you just a, let me run down just a little a list of what Lauren Hill has done. Lauren Hill, right? She's not He's only. so excited, y'all. Yeah, because you know I love talking about music, especially when it comes to lists, right? So Lauren Hill, she is the first, the first and the only female rapper to ever have a diamond album. That means ten million albums sold, right? That's just mm-hmm. one album. That's just one album compared to I think what Nicki Minaj, the Pink uh, Pink Friday Two. I think that's her official fifth album. All of Nicki Minaj's album sales combined barely make barely is barely getting to like almost eight million. Lauren Hill has ten million off of one album. Wow. She's also the first female rapper to have a number one album on the Billboard 200. She's the first to do it. You know what I mean? Now, you know, here's the thing about records. Everybody can break a record. Everybody can, you know, LeBron last year just passed up Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the most points ever. You know what I mean? But you know what will never change? You being the first to do something. Lauryn Hill is the first female rapper to ever have a number one album on Billboard. To this day, Lauryn Hill's album came out in 1998. To this day, she still holds the record for the most albums sold in a first week by any female rapper. And one week, she sold 422,000 albums, almost a gold album in the first week. And this is back in 1998. And people think about like, oh, what about Cardi B? What about Nicki? What about Nicki Minaj? The highest Nicki Minaj has ever gotten is close to 300,000 in her first week. Wow. All right. Also, Lauren Hill, she's the first rapper, not for, not just female rapper, she's the first rapper ever to win album of the year at the Grammy Awards. Wow. The first rapper to do it. Is she? Yeah. And then now when we come down to now we're getting into the Grammy Tory territory. Um, when it comes to just female rappers that have Grammys, people are like, well, what about Nicki Minaj? Nicki Minaj doesn't have a Grammy. You know how many Grammy you know does how many- Missy have a Grammy? Miss yep now Missy Ellie has a couple of Grammys. Missy Ellie has four Grammys. Ooh, Grammy. So she she's up there. She's a Grammy. Lauren Hill has eight Grammys. She has the most Grammys for a female female rapper ever. Wow. All right. Eight. Eight Grammys for one album. For one. Well, the eight Grammys is a span. It's a span between her 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 album, 
her own solo album, and then she was also part of the Fugees. Oh, so okay. she got a couple of she got a couple of grant. Well, actually, yeah, she got a couple of Grammys from the Fugees album, the score, which was a which is a great hip hop album in itself as well. So she got two classics under her belt. But then she also has a Grammy from. Uh, do you know who Carlos Santana is? Mm, yes well back in the day Carl Santana came out with this album called Supernatural legendary album this is a classic album Lauren Hill actually produced the song and was featured on one of the songs on that album she won a Grammy for that so eight Grammys right mm-hmm. also she is tied with Beyonce for the most Grammy nominations by a female in one night not a female rapper not a female singer just a female in one night they both have ten nominations um for Grammy Awards on one night. Wow. You know? And then on top of that, who else do you know has come out with one album that came out almost 30 years ago and is still able to tour off of that album and have it be recognized as still a great body of work, a great project? So I want to, again, just reiterate and put my stamp that when it comes to the female goat rapper, there are a lot of great women rappers out there. I actually like Nicki Minaj for the most part. I don't really like this last album. I ain't, I ain't going to hold you. You know what I mean? <laughs> boy, boy, that was, yeah. Anyway, you know, but, you know, we have the Nicki Minaj's of the world. We have the Cardi B's of the world. Me, I'm a more lyrical person. So, you know, I like the Rhapsodies of the world, the Jean Grey's of the world. You know, women like that, the Sarah, Sarahs of the world. You know what I mean? Sarah. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, I have Missy Elliott in my number two. She's number two um, because of what she's been able to do with just production, writing songs, her own rapping, and just how, like, Nikki, uh, Missy Elliott was just a vibe, wasn't she? You know what I mean? Like, from her under construction days and stuff, like, like Missy Elliott was a straight up vibe. But when we get to that number one spot, the GOAT, all those accolades I just read off. And then on top of that, Lauren Hill is considered to be one of the greatest rappers ever. Not just greatest female rappers ever, but she's considered to be one of the greatest rappers ever from some of your favorite rappers. Some of the people that you coin as greatest rappers. The Jay-Z's of the world. The Big Daddy Kings. The Cool Mo D's. The Kanye West's of the world. All these people look to her and think of her as one of the greatest rappers to ever do it so i want to land my plane there um and just give lauren hill her praises man give her her flowers you know what i mean like i said she might show up late to a to a concert she might say something crazy at a concert but when we think about that music when we think about killing me softly when we think about x factor when we think about the miseducation of lauren hill put some respect on her name l boogie lauren hill the goat female rapper I am and rolling. Because this, this man's toes was curling while he was saying all that, y'all. Oh, my toe was itching. I was just trying to scratch it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know what was going on. But anyway. I was that, shook. I was like, hold on. But anyway, that has been our podcast for tonight. Um, as always, we just appreciate you guys for tuning in with us. We know that you can be tuning in many other places, but you're here with us and we appreciate that. We just want to ask that you guys go ahead and leave a review. Go ahead and leave a comment. Um, leave us five stars, man. If this is a five-star episode. Maybe there's something, a topic that you want to hear in the future that you want to hear us talk about. Maybe you want to comment on something that we spoke about today in this episode. Um, just go ahead and run up to Apple Podcasts. 
podcast. Um, go down to the review section and let us know what you're thinking. Let us know what you're feeling. Please share this podcast with a friend. Um, tell somebody about it. We got some good stuff in here. You see, we go from music to our our resident psychologist talking about strengths <laughs> and then the psychology room to t- childhood traumas and even random facts. You know what I mean? So please share this podcast and just let somebody know how much you like it and how good it is. So... With that being said, as always, we thank you again. We hope that you guys have a great rest of the week, a great rest of the year in 2024. May you be prosperous and successful and all that in the bag of chips. And as always, God bless.